And thanks for joining us for episode 8 of the podcast of Nonsensical Gamers. My name is Matt, and joining me on today's cast are my two co-hosts, Nonsensical Tiffany. Hello. And Nonsensical Dan. Hello, hello. All right, everyone. Thank you for joining us again, or if this is your first time, welcome. We'd like to remind you that you can always chat with us on social media. We have Facebook and Twitter. You can search the League of Nonsensical Gamers to find us on there. Or you can feel free to send us an email at podcast at nonsensicalgamers.com. We welcome all feedback, constructive or positive. And another note, for those of you who use the Stitcher uh, radio service, you can now find all of our episodes available on there. All right, so moving forward, our show today, episode number eight, we are going to talk a little bit about what we've been playing as usual, and then we're going to get into a review of Machi Koro, uh, Pandasaurus and IDW's new dice rolling game. And then we're going to talk a little bit about the games from Spiel 2014. It just wrapped up a little while ago, and we've got some lists about our favorite games that we are looking forward to coming out soon. All right, but we will get into a little bit about what we've been playing. So, who would like to kick it off? So, this past weekend... I had a chance to go down to College Park, Maryland um, to check out uh, part of the Extra Life event that was hosted by the Party Game Cast at one of the local board game cafes, the Board and Brew. It's uh, relatively new. I believe it opened in the spring. So anyone local to us or in the D.C., Virginia area, I highly recommend checking it out. Great place to go. Amazing collection. I think they had over like four or 500 games. A lot of oldies, um, so I recommend it highly. Um, but one of the games that I got to check out, a new one for me, was uh, Progress, the Evolution of Technology. Uh, that was most recently kickstarted, and I believe it was just shipped last week, so it was hot off the press, and Smee managed to bring his down with him. And we got in a five-player game of it. Um, for those who aren't familiar with it, uh, Progress whittles down everything that you love about a Civ game, which is, for most people, the tech tree. So this game is essentially you're building tech trees and you're trying to do it in the most efficient way and I guess in the most fruitful uh, possible manner as well. And and it's uh, interesting. As I said, we played a five-player game and this was our first go-around. Uh, but it took us nearly two hours and 45 minutes to complete. And and we kept joking that, you know, we could have just played a Civ game in that time, <laughs> let alone the actual just tech tree building of it. It was, it was very long. Um, they do give you um, variants in the rule book to speed it up. It was our first play, so I think a little bit of that could be attributed to our, you know, non-existent knowledge and or experience with it but i i don't know just the mechanics and just the way that you're basically going through these decks of cards that represent ages and different technologies build off of the different ages you know so the technologies you build in uh, age one will combo with age two uh think of 
the way I compared it was kind of like seven wonders where you're trying to build those, um, you know, markets in era one. And then in era two, you get to build for free if you have the, the specific market that you need, um, et cetera. So it, it was cool like that. I really enjoyed that aspect of it. But like I said, it was a little bit too long for my liking. And it was it was kind of samey around the table. I think there wasn't any real definitive strategy that anyone was going for. Um, it was just kind of a build as many things as you could to get as many free things in the next round. So I don't know. All in all, I, I would definitely try it again. But it, if it winds up being another two-hour game, I don't think it's gonna it's gonna stick around too long for me. Is the is the goal of the game actually to? like make the civ building genre like more concise or more compact or is it just to like isolate their favorite part of it i don't know if that makes sense yeah, so, like, my understanding was it was just to ice no i understand what you're saying I, I don't think it was trying to um take the place of or replicate anything else from the civ game other than the tech tree so you're building the tech tree and different cards are worth points and other cards are worth like you have a player board that has different i guess powers so how many cards you can draw how many cards you can hold in your hand and different different techs as you build them increase these different elements so you're balancing that with kind of your tree and like i said some things score you points other things don't um it wasn't a very high scoring game i think uh, smee won and he had like 42 points and i was in second or third and i had 33 so it, it wasn't an extremely high scoring game but you're not only balancing the points you're also balancing like i said how you want to go about building the different texts i think there's i think there's a lot there to offer the tech tree is kind of the technologies available are, it's quite vast um so maybe you could go specializing in certain areas but it's highly dependent again on what you draw and what you're able to build I've seen some a few like a little bit of chatter around Twitter about this one. Apparently, people are enjoying it, so I'm interested in checking it out. I'm glad to hear that that Smee got a hold of it, but uh, I don't know. I'm now after hearing your pitch, I don't know how uh, how I'll feel about it. I think I would. I mean, personally, I'd rather play a Civ game <laughs> if yeah, I'm going to sit down I mean, for that amount of time. I love tech trees, um, but I think that if I'm going to sit down for three hours, I'd rather you know also build a civilization in a, an army or two. So I'd agree with that. But again, uh, I want to try to see, you know, what, what different things you can do with it. Tiff, what have you been up to? Um, I played a bunch of Felds last week. <laughs> oh, that's right. You were, it was Feldfest. Yeah, well, one of my friends is just collecting every Feld game ever right now, so I benefit from this greatly. I got to try out um, Strasbourg, which... I was really unfamiliar with. I had no idea what it was going into it other than like Matt Riddle had highly recommended it. So I was like, all right, let's do this. And it's a really interesting sort of bidding game. Every player has 24 cards to bid with throughout the, I think there are five rounds. So you have four of each number, one through six. And then on your turn, you draw however many out of your deck you want, but you only have the 24 cards for the entire game. So you have to kind of budget. Um, so if you draw a whole bunch on one turn, you might get screwed over at the end. So you, you draw up the cards, and then you 
lay them out in piles. And these are going to be the separate bids that you offer to do different actions in the round. So there's a track that shows the different actions that are available in each round. And you bid on them using your piles of cards. And the whole goal of the game is you're trying to get your family members in these guilds. By getting them into these guilds, you get to build buildings. It's like pretty much every Steffenfeld where there's a whole lot of different things going on. And I, we really need an alert for the, the game that I played with wrong rules this week. <laughs> <laughs> I'll get a sound. We need some kind of sound to signify it because this is the one. We missed out on one small rule. And I think it probably would have affected the way I was playing the game, but we realized it kind of a little bit too late, and I was hating the game the whole entire time. So I don't know how to feel about Strasbourg. I generally like a nice Feld, and this one just, I don't know, it's a little bit different from what I was expecting, and not that I had like really definitive expectations, but once we got started, it just felt harder than it looks it's a beautifully produced feld game um it's a pegasus spiele so it looks great it plays three to five players and it's a shorter feld so i think it took us over an hour but i don't know there's a lot of things i i like about it but i'd have to try it again with the rules right <laughs> to give you a good opinion yeah, on maybe it. a second play is in order yeah I don't own it, but I'll probably try to play it again if it's around. Did you get a chance to play La Isla? I did. How was that? That was fantastic. Okay. <laughs> so it kind of made up for it. I, we... I'm more interested in that one, to be fair. No, it's okay. I understand. It's it's the new hot feld right now. Um, yeah, La Isla is another sort of lighter, shorter feld. I think this one took us less than 60 minutes. Um, you are playing the roles of explorers looking for endangered animals. So there are different kinds of animals on this sort of, it's a weirdly shaped board. It's kind of circular the, and they all, the, there are different tiles that kind of fit together. And basically you have dudes that you're trying to move around and collect up these tokens. And there's a little bit of a co economy to it where you can increase the value of the different animals that you're trying to collect. Um, you get three cards in your turn, and the cards are sort of multi-use cards. And you have to decide to, which slot to put them in, whatever use you choose to go with. And you just kind of have to deal with the cards that are in your hand and, and make the best of it. Some of them give you powers. Some of them move your guy. Um, but... Basically, it's a you do kind of like a simultaneous act, action reveal of all those cards, and you move your guys around, you collect your animals, and you see how many points you get at the end. But I thought it was excellent. I didn't really even want to like it, but I bought it like not even we were, like I didn't even make it through the weekend. I bought it. That quick. I bought it pretty quick. Yeah, I heard about this one on the Geek All Stars, and and I'm interested to try it. Dan, you gonna be picking this one up so that I can play it? Um, maybe when it hits the states, I think, which is recently. Well, yeah, it's not out I don't right know. Now. It's yes. Stefan Feld for me is always must try before I buy. A lot of his games are so hit or miss with me. I'm not, I'm not a devout Feldian, and I'll I'll be happy to admit that. Um, La Isla was it was appealing, uh, the theme at least. Looking at the board, it was a bit wonky looking to me. Those little <laughs> plastic figures and. I was surprised to see board. plastic. Yeah, it's very different. 
Yeah, but I mean, I'm I'm always up for giving his games a try. They always interest me. I mean, like I said, the last one of his, the Bruges that I played, I didn't care for. But I do like, I don't know. I don't even, I can't even really name a Feld that I'm in love with. <laughs> for sure. Yeah, but they're all good. They're That's all, the thing. Well, they're all decent. I'd say they're solid. I wouldn't say they're like all. If I want like a like a like a solid little Euro game, Castles of Burgundy, Trajan, even Bruges, even though it's not like my favorite. Like these are all good games. I wonder yeah. if the aesthetics of these Feld games have anything to do with your distaste for them, Dan. No, it doesn't bother me. I thought no? Bruges was actually a really really good looking game. Oh, really it was. Liked, I liked the art. I thought the board was really cool looking. Um, the chits were nice. I thought that was a really well-produced game uh burgundy is a piece of crap from an aesthetic point uh hey man it is hideous come on awesome <laughs> it is a hitty it's Love a hideous looking game uh trajan's nice looking um i i, I can't even think of the other felds i've played to be honest with you rialto rialto's rialto looks okay. rialto is my least favorite of all of the felds that i've played thus far i didn't like that one at all Bora Bora is pretty hideous, too. Bora Bora is busy looking. Very busy. It's a great game, though. Yeah. So there's a couple on my list that I want to try. I want to try, obviously, The Name of the Rose, uh, Notre Dame. Ah, I actually haven't even played Spikerstadt. I would like to try that. But if it's like Spirium, I don't know. I might just lean Spirium. (laughs) No, give it a try. All right. Now, Tiff, I don't want to dive into your to your spending habits, but how much did it run you? Thirty it, bucks retail. Thirty yeah. on like online. Oh, that's eh, not bad. If it's a solid game, if Tiff loves it that much, I really liked it. I thirty bucks. Yeah, I think it was. It's definitely well with worth thirty bucks. There's so much replayability just built into all the different tiles. You're going to have a different layout every time, and you're going to be making different decisions with the card draws every time. I just thought it 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 was felt quick and short it would be easy to teach someone but it also had those really tough decisions that you get to make in Steffenfeld games so i like so a little foreshadowing is it worth 30 bucks over machi kora which is also 30 bucks (laughs) i'd say yes (laughs) i'm kidding oh i mean i don't know why don't you wait and find out (laughs) yeah but that's 30 bucks retail isn't that like isn't it like 20 bucks online so, so, is Majikora better cool. than Diamonds is what we'll have to ask. But anyway. Ugh. Trick-taking games. <laughs> All right. Well, you know, I, I played some games, too. I mean, I could... Yeah, I how could about you, in. Matt? What did you No, play? we don't care. What else did you play, Tiff? No, I'm kidding. Yeah. <laughs> Tell us more about the Felds that you played this weekend. Actually, that was it. <laughs> Even though we had, like, a whole stack of Felds, that's all we got through. We played some other games, too. I actually didn't, I don't have much exciting to report on, so I was at a wedding over the weekend, so I missed the marathon. I was a little upset that I, I missed a prime gaming opportunity and a chance to, to you know, support a good cause, but um, I did manage to sucker Kelly B and my best buddy in the world, Andy. Um, we went down to a wedding in Ocean City, and every chance that we weren't doing something like playing skee-ball or eating funnel cake, uh, I was playing either... Uh, Sushi Go, Love Letter, or Machi Koro. I taught uh, Andy all three of those games. It was nice to break out some of those uh, 
those travel games and actually put them to use. Normally, I'm only playing them at my house where I've got other cool games. But this was actually a good reason to to bring them along and use them for their intended small box purpose. So uh, that was pretty cool. And then yesterday, I played like four and a half, five hours of D&D, which was kind of weird because we hadn't played in a while. But uh, still having a good time with that whenever my group meets up. And uh, I'm super inspired to do an RPG. And I know, like, I talked to Tiff about it, and she said her group's just not into it. And I know Dan's not a big RPG guy, so I'm going to have to find some suckers to uh, to join me on a campaign. But I feel like DM in a game. I think I'm going to jump into the, the Dragon Age RPG, because that's a pretty uh, low-impact pen and paper one. So, But yeah, that's all I've really been getting into, so... If you guys have anything else cool and new to talk about, go for it. Um, I played all kinds of new stuff at that marathon just because what else were you going to do? Um, also had a chance to play Inca Empire. Uh, don't ask me who the designer, publisher, or anything that stuff, uh, any of that stuff because I don't know and I don't remember. That's not um, new. I know it's not new, but oh, for okay. me it's new. Okay, okay, I um, got it. It was new to me. And this is, uh, I guess, a road-building game would be the best way to put it, uh, where you're trying to connect the different cities and temples within uh, the Incan Empire of South America during whatever time period that was. Um, it was okay. It was, it was solid mechanically, really dry, I guess, as you would probably expect from you know, a road building game of sorts. Um, but I wasn't overly, um, enthused by it. I guess that was kind of the, the theme of my game night for all these new games I tried. I wasn't overly impressed with many of them, but, um, this one in particular, uh, I had a lead after about four rounds. I think it goes like seven or eight rounds. And I knew after that fourth round that there was no way I was going to lose this game. It was just one of those things. So you build cities, or you build roads to connect different cities and temples, and then you score off of all the different ones that you're touching, your roads, that is. Um, so I built up this lead, and then all I had to do really for the last couple of rounds was just keep pace with everyone, you know, touch their cities, so to speak. Um, you were getting all and, up into their cities? Oh, I was getting all up in there, reaching out, touching all kinds of cities. <laughs> Yeah, no, so I had this lead about, you know, 20, 30 points, and all I had to do for the next couple rounds was kind of just mitigate the the different ways that I could gain more points to keep up with how some of the other guys were when building cities, etc. And then just, like I said, make sure I was touching all the appropriate cities in appropriate when ways. When I looked at the picture, course. it looked a little um, bit like a train game. It is. It basically was. It was... It felt very trainish. I mean, that's, I mean, a road building and a train building game are they're pretty close together, in my opinion. Um, but I will say that I'd rather play like Steam. Steam's decision making to be a little bit more interesting. Um, this has an interesting mechanic where you get this hand of cards, and each time this sun phase or whatever it's called comes up, you can play a card into one of the quadrants of this little player board, and there's different. Each quadrant has um, colors, and those colors are player colors, and that card that's played in that quadrant affects those players. 
So you could maybe put negative ones in an opponent's quadrant or you could put positive ones in yours. It's up to you how you want to go about it. So that was a little bit random, the cards you got for that and how they were played. Um, so that that was kind of the twist on the whole road building game. But I played that pretty well. And like I said, I after round four, I knew I wasn't going to lose the game. So I kind of just went on cruise control and it, it really became stale to me after that. So... All in all, like I said, it was solid mechanically speaking. It had a couple of interesting twists, but I'd rather play a train game. So that was a little bit about what we've been playing. When we get back from this break, we'll be doing our review of Machi Koro. Boom. Yeah. You think you're so cool. Energy. That was a ball of it. She has a higher pitched voice. That's the only thing that's different. No, I fluctuate the tone of my voice. Yeah. Yeah. I have, I have bigger range than you guys. I have range, but this is my radio voice. So now we're going to go ahead and get into our review of Machi Koro. So Machi Koro, for those of you who don't know, is a dice rolling game for two to four players coming from IDW and Panasaurus Games, and it was designed by Masao Suganuma. Thematically in Machikoro, you've just been elected as the mayor of the city of Machikoro. It's a tiny little city with some quite demanding citizens. And it's now your job to take this little town and fill it with the businesses and the attractions that will make your residents happy. Things that all kinds of people love, you know, cheese factories, bakeries, radio towers, sports stadiums, just to name a few. So mechanically speaking, Each turn, players will go through three short action phases. The first thing they're going to do is roll a die or a pair of dice. Then the players will collect income based on the total of those dice from the buildings of corresponding numbers. Then the active player will have the opportunity to buy one building from the center supply and add it to their tableau. Or they can pay money to complete one of their four monuments. The game's going to continue until one player has completed all four of their personal monuments, at which point their city has grown to be the largest and most profitable in the region. And that's really Machikoro in a nutshell. It's a simple dice rolling game where each turn people are going to be rolling dice, and based on the numbers that come up, they're going to take money according to the buildings that they have in their tableau. It really is that simple. Now, let's see if that's any good. What do you guys think? It's okay. That is an underwhelming review. I guess that's what I do nowadays. I don't know. It's a, it's a light game. I think it's simple to teach and easy to play. It has dice, so there's some luck involved, which can be frustrating if you don't plan correctly. I played this with my kids at Board Game Club, and they seem to enjoy it quite a bit. Yeah, yeah. I think that's the audience they're going for, um, is the, the light to casual gamers. I think the nice thing about it is they're, like Tiff said, there's dice, so there's obviously a huge random element in this game, but there's still a little bit of tactical strategy involved in that, you know, for those kind of strategic slash hardcore gamers that want to find some kind of avenue to victory that requires their brain. Um, it's, it's you know, like I said, the tactical piece being which buildings to buy. I think that's really cool. Um, and there's, there's a lot of different ways... Um, because you start out rolling one die, but then you can, through other actions or building purchases, roll one or two die. So you, you know, that influences the strategy you want to take. Do you want to buy the high numbers? Do you want to buy the low numbers? And we can get into that a little bit more 
um, in a minute. But I think overall, like Tiffany said, the the strategy it is enough to keep you interested. But I think the the audience here really is this those light to casual gamers. You're a great family game as well. Yeah, I agree with that. I I mean, I wanted to use this to kind of gateway my kids into some maybe a little bit more strategic games. They, I mean, we've been playing a lot of really light stuff and dexterity stuff, so I kind of wanted to get them into more gamery games. So I'm using this as a stepping stone. So yeah, I think it's I think it's cool, and it's got that it's got a nice theme. It's got um, cute the art. Yeah, the cute art is really cool. It's appealing. It's it's light. It's fresh. It really gives the game. Um, a nice aesthetic on the table. Um, no board involved, so it's it's a it's a small package. Even though they give you a huge box for it, you know, huge relatively speaking for the the number of cards in it. But you could probably put this in a in a big you know um, deck box or something, and just carry it around with you. It's 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 got a pretty low profile. It does have a low profile, but it doesn't have a small footprint. It takes up table space. It does, but you can you know you could m- maneuver around that. I, I don't know why you would. But, you know, I think it's it's portable. But in terms of likes, I mean, I think that one of the most interesting things that I like is the different styles of buildings. So it's got, I'm trying to think of, like, comparable games. It, like, it just reminds me of the Catan thing where you roll the dice. If your number comes up, you take your, your reward, basically. So, you know, you've got your buildings numbered 1 through 12. But within the 1 through 12, there's this four different types of buildings. So some let you take money whenever the number comes up. Some let you take money just on your turn. Some let you take money from other players when they roll the number. And other ones let you take player take money from other players when you roll the number. So the, the mix of buildings, I think, keeps it uh, nice and fresh in terms of stri- uh, strategic options. Because you could go for one thing uh, one game. You could go for another thing another game. Um, especially when you look at, you know, you don't really have to... Uh, you don't have to generalize too much. You can be kind of specific and specialized when you choose your buildings. So that means that, you know, a bunch of different strategies are, are available game to game. Yeah, I think it, that's true. I haven't tried the same strategy any of the times that I've played it so far. I've, I've done something different each time. Yeah, it allows you. And there's also, um, there's also comboing, which everyone loves. You know, pulling off a combo is one of the greatest feelings in any board game especially an engine building kind of city game like this one. Um, but you know what's but, not fun? Not pulling off a combo. No, and that's that's where the, probably the biggest frustration is with Machi Kuro is the randomness, and it's so dependent on the dice rolling. As Tiff mentioned, um, she has tried different strategies every time she's played. Um, but for me, one of the big downsides of this game, and I don't know if this is because I look at it a little bit more strategic and not as casually as I probably should, but... I feel like the base set itself is is almost solvable in a way. Um, I found a specific strategy that I like um, using one die and buying um, a lot of blues, greens, and specifically a lot of the reds so that I'm getting paid mostly on everyone's turn. And then there's a specific, I'm not going to spoil it for anyone because I don't like that to be spoiled when you know I'm talking about games with other people. I want to figure this stuff out for myself. But there's a certain order in which I buy the landmarks, which kind of combo with the cards that I've built. And then, again, just rolling that one die, I found that I've won. I've won two, two straight games using that thing, and it was pretty, pretty handily. Um, the, the second place player was, was close, but not necessarily monetarily 
landmark wise he was but so for me i i could see this getting stale um it's kind of what i'm trying to sum up i think that the base set and again i'll caveat that i know they're releasing uh two expansions in in the upcoming months here i'm not as familiar with what's coming out with those i'm assuming just uh, more cards with different powers and triggers etc but this base set as we're talking today for me it's a bit it's a bit too easy and looking at it from a strategic standpoint i think that um there's a way to mitigate the luck of the die roll to your benefit more times than none i don't know if i've thought about it and obviously i don't know your strategy just yet i'll be interested to play against you and see but i think that um i don't see it as solvable as maybe you do but i don't know i've won three of the four games that i've played um and I've, I've never used the same strategy quite the same. I mean, I buy a variety of cards. I generally I generalize a bit more, so I think there's some overlap there. But I've found that um, I think that there's a decent amount of kind of tactical decision-making to counteract other players. Now, it's dice rolling, and you've got to factor that in, and sometimes it just won't hit. But I think that, um, you know, maybe I'll be proven wrong when I see your strategy, but I think that you may be able to kind of you can disrupt people, especially in terms of there's a limited amount of cards on the board. Um, there's certain cards that really kind of mess with people. Some of the sixes, one of the sixes lets you trade certain locations with people. I mean, there's definitely ways to disrupt. So I don't, I don't quite see it as solvable as solvable. Um, but maybe that's just me. I, I agree that those cards are there and that they can really shake up the game at, at certain points in time. Um, the sixes specifically, they're saying, but I find that they come into play uh, too late, for instance. I think a lot of people are busy building up their own engines and not really worried about other people until later on in the game when they realize, oh, crap, you know, that guy's really far ahead. Um, and the other thing for me is with my, like I said, I go one die most of the times, and I specialize very heavily in some of the, the numbers to kind of increase my odds because I like playing the probabilities, which this game is really all about. Um, under you know underneath it all but for the whole you know the cards above six for instance you know where you need the two die that's very dependent on your opponents um, because everyone starts with one die but the ability to roll two die comes about when you buy the specific landmark the train station and yes it is the cheapest one so it could come into play you know quicker but for me i don't buy that one first um, and you know, maybe other people won't because they want some of the other abilities of the other landmarks first, or they want to save up for that. So the higher numbers, you know, the seven through 12, it's, it's very dependent on, again, your opponents, at least for being able to benefit on other people's turns, like I said, and that's how I've found, um, gaining income is, is, is most efficient is when you can hit on every turn in between yours. That's definitely, I agree that that's probably the most efficient way. I mean, that is, there's no doubt in my mind that hitting on everyone's turn is is what you're going for. But I think that in terms of those combos that you were talking about, it's the two die strategy. They've structured the game so that, you know, the most common dice rolls, uh, seven and eight, and I guess six to some extent, you know, those are, you have to hit seven and eight on two dice. So they've kind of structured it so that if you want that big combo turn where you're getting you know, money on top of money for different cards, you've got to go two dice. So so I, I actually did try your strategy the last time I played, Dan. 
I, uh, I got Dan's secret formula and I tried it out and I did win, but it was pretty close. Like the, the player that was right behind me was only one turn away from winning. I just got there before her. Yeah. I think if, as long as the players are watching what's going on, some of that can be tactically fixed. So it's sure. not like it doesn't have that solvable feel if if the players are all paying attention to what each other are doing. Now, I do think the game suffers if you're kind of in your own world. You can't really do that. When I think that's even a, like a boon of the game to some extent. Like it's a it's a benefit to think that I can sit down with a casual mindset or casual players and this game's going to work fine as long as I play with that way. And then I can also sit down with you know you guys. I can sit with you guys across the table. And I know that you'll be actively engaged, like I'm actively engaged on kind of a deeper, maybe statistical level or probability level. Um, that you can play it both ways. I guess the problem that we're encountering is that if there's a disconnect in terms of player skill or kind of player mentality, uh, you, that's where you might run into that dominant strategy. Sure, and I think I, I think I didn't touch on it, but it, one of my likes is again. I think I've kind of found a, a really comfortable strategy that I'm I really can execute well and it's done well for me as far as you know win percentage etc but I really like the ability to kind of explore like you said if you sit down uh, regardless of who's around the table you know if I'm playing with you know my family I could try a different strategy I think it's there's it, it gives you those options which I like and it's a very quick and very casual game um, to Tiffany's point about paying attention to everyone I, I've found personally that it's kind of hard to only for the the sole reason that it's so quick. A turn is so quick. It's like roll a die, everyone collects income as needed. You buy a card and you pass the turn. So sometimes you just get caught up in, oh, it's my turn, or you know, you're just kind of chit-chatting because it is such a casual game that doesn't really require a huge amount of thought and, you know, attention. But I, I that's where I've found the hiccup and you know, either I've exploited it or I've just kind of sat back and said, all right, let's just have fun with this kind of thing. So it's, it's one of those things. It's just the mentality you want to have when you're playing it personally. Right. I think, I mean, I think the base set makes it that kind of lighter gameplay. I'm really interested in the Harbor expansion that's coming out. It was formerly Machi Koro Plus, uh, and there are a, a bunch of new cards in that one, like something like 80 cards, I think. According to some of the information that's out on the web about it, it's supposed to make it a little bit more complex and potentially, you know, difficult or strategic because it's adding in new starting establishments. It's also adding two additional landmarks that you have to complete. So now you have to complete six instead of four. So maybe adding some more depth to the gameplay. Um, you can actually see some of the pictures of the, of the establishments that will be coming out uh, up on the BGG page and floating around the web. But, I mean, what do you guys think about that idea? I'm ready for an expansion right now. I think that's what it's missing. I think I just want more choices and more cards to choose from on my turn. Yeah. Dan? Yeah, I agree. I think it's, like I said before, I think it's it's getting stale um, because there is so, so limited, so many, bleh, there's such limited choice to explore at the moment. Yes, there's different options you can try and things like that, but at the end of the day, there's not that many. So while it's still great to kind of introduce to newer players, I think some of us who are looking at it from a more strategic standpoint or want a little bit more depth to it, I think it'll be a welcome addition. 
I think uh, I'm excited for it to come out, and I'll definitely be picking it up to add to my game, but I think I still like the game as it sits, um, you know, both strategically and as more of a basic intro game. I think that I haven't explored enough of the strategy, especially given the, the human element that gets introduced into the game, because I do think that that's maybe where once you have the basic buildings and what you want to do kind of set up and, and you figure out your, your base strategy, I think that the players that you're playing with really make this game interesting. So I don't know that I've explored that enough, but expansions are always cool. More cards, more fun. So do you guys have any problems with your uh, cards? Because some of mine were miscut. Yeah, I definitely did. I had some that were um, miscolored. So some of the um, the blues were, you know, the, the shades varied. Um, I also had some cards that uh, it looked like the when they were cutting the sheets, like they stuck together. And some of the cards were the victims of this because there's like, um, you know, when you pull a sticker off and it leaves those little like white marks of like rough patch on the on the paper. Um, a few of my cards had that like right across the text. And that was really annoying. Um, I haven't experienced the miscut cards, although I don't know if I've looked at it too too closely to figure that out. But from what I'm seeing, like across the internet, um, as well as on BGG and stuff, a lot of people are having problems with the, the, the production quality of this. Yeah, I didn't have the, the stickery problem, but I had just a couple of cards that were missed cut. So they had kind of, it was a blue card with like a little bit of a red card over to the side. And I did have the, the difference in colors on blue cards and some of my green cards were a little bit darker than others. Yeah, I had misprints as well in terms of the cutting. There's some of my like red cards have like a little blue edge on them, and kind of a bummer. the The dice are nice, the money's nice. Um, overall, I think that the cards themselves are nice. Like I, I like them and I like the art on it. But some of the coloration and the miscuts are a problem. Now, I do add to that though. I've heard many success stories in terms of people contacting the publisher. Uh, showing pictures of what's wrong, telling them exactly what they need replaced, and they're getting replacements extremely quick from what I've heard. So it's a bummer that the game went out with these problems, but it sounds like they're being rectified pretty readily. Yeah. Um, if you The email you send to is games at idwpublishing.com, and then you, you give them the list of things that need to be replaced and images, and they take care of you. My, my box this box itself is actually um, skewed like maybe like a quarter of an inch so I can only put the lid on one specific way so the box is technically a square what? but I can't put it on any other way but then than this one certain way so that it slides down otherwise it just stops so um, that one was pretty funny we were trying to put it on the other day I was like what the hell is wrong with this box that's like a new component I guess is the box a component? That's like, I've never heard of that ever being a thing. I haven't either. I've never seen that where like, you know, okay, I have a square box. That's not square. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of got like a slant to it. And like I said, it only closes one certain way, which is it's pretty hilarious to me. But I have heard that IDW and Pandasaurus have been really good about um, taking the complaints and then resolving them accordingly. So I will be contacting them. Because it doesn't deter me from playing the game. It doesn't take away from the game itself. The card stock itself is is good quality. Like I said, the art is really cute, well done. Um, it's just one of those nitpicky things where, like, as a consumer, I've spent 
you know, money on this. And I, I would like the best product possible. And it wasn't really given to me in this case. So I guess where we end this review today would be with our try regret pass. And you'll notice that I edited that because we all already own this game. So try bypass would not be quite accurate. So what do you guys think? Is this game, if you had to recommend this game, would you just try it? If you had to go back, do you regret your purchase? Would you pass on it completely? Um, I don't regret my purchase. I'm glad I have it. Like I said, it's going to be, I know it's going to get to the table a whole bunch. Uh, I don't feel like I've explored the whole game completely. And I know the expansion is going to add a lot of variability. Um, and there might be a second expansion coming. So hopefully I'll fill this box up with cards and continue to enjoy it for a long time. So yeah, as Tiff said, I don't really regret my purchase. I think it's a great uh, intro slash gateway game, especially for, you know, Folks who like to roll dice and build cities, I think it's it's good. Um, it's for me, it's like a lighter Catan in a way. Uh, I know Matt mentioned that before. I think it's a great comparison, um, but it's it's so much. It's got such a s- small profile that I think it's 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 a little bit easier to get to the table um, with more casual gamers, for instance. Um, I don't. I think the expansions are needed for me. Um, the game itself from a strategic standpoint, is a bit stale. Uh, I think it just needs a little refresh. I do enjoy the different that it offers different strategies to employ, but I just think, you know, I can't train my brain to go any other way but the one that I think is going to win, um, which is good and bad, I guess. So I would, I would highly recommend this, again, for anyone looking for a casual family game. I think it's a really good, um, it's a good one. Cool. All right. Well, Machi Cora. This is the nonsensical gamer saying, stick it on your shelf. Hey everyone, I wanted to give you a heads up about the contest currently going on over at nonsensicalgamers.com. We have one copy of Dead of Winter, Plat Hat Games' meta-cooperative hit from Gen Con 2014, up for grabs and the exclusive Kodiak Colby promo card. The contest will run until November 9th, 2014, and we will announce the winner on November 10th on Twitter and in our weekly broadcast news post. So head on over to the site to enter, and good luck, everyone. All right, guys, so the final segment for today's episode is going to be some talk about Essen 2014. So Essen wrapped up a week or two ago, and we have taken some time to take a look at what's popular, what came out, and we've gone ahead and ranked our top five, with a few honorable mentions, um, favorite games that we're interested in that came out from Essen 2014. So we're just going to go round robin and chat about some of the games that, that we're excited about and tell you a little bit about why. So Tiff, what is on your list. All right, so my number five is Bucket King 3D. This is a little dexterity game by Stefan Dora, uh, published by Jolly Thinkers. And the first thing that caught my eye about it was the artwork is the same um, artwork as the pick a pig, pick a dog guy. Oh, okay. 
Ari Wong. Yeah. So it's super duper cute. And it's just, you have these little 3D buckets. It used to be a card game before, but now they've added little buckets that you stack up in a pyramid. And on your turn, you play cards. The next player has to play cards of the same color or suit, um, but increase the sum. And you go around until someone doesn't want to increase the sum anymore. And then they have to lose a bucket of that color out of their pyramid. And you um, have to flick it or... Uh, poke it out of the pyramid so it might cause a giant cascade of little tiny plastic buckets and it just looks fun nice this goes along with all the other kids dexterity games that you have in your collection i'm kind of into those sorts of things so i had to put at least one of them on the list nice so is this one that you've already ordered or that you're just waiting for it to hit shelves you're gonna buy this i'm waiting for it to hit shelves i hope it turns up eventually yeah is it going to be over in the u.s or you're going to have to order from the eu to be, I really don't know for sure. Okay. There's no information that I could find anyway on the, the BGG page that says one way or the other. Cool. I mean, this sounds fun. It goes along with the, you know, the Rhino Heroes and the Coconuts in our collection, so this might be one to keep an eye on. All right. Well, my number five is a game called Karnak, or Karnak. Um, and this is, the BGG page has the designer listed as Emiliano Venturini, um, but he goes by Wentu. On BGG, that's kind of his go-to uh, handle, so you can find him by that name. Um, and this, maybe you guys can help me with. This is published by, is it Hutch or Hooch and Friends? No? Nope, can't help you there. Nope, you're okay. on So this is published by Hutch or Hooch, H-U-C-H and Friends. Um, and this is a two-player abstract strategy game. So once again, per usual, Tiff and Dan can go to sleep. Um, this is a game, it's almost kind of like tile laying and area control. So you have these, um, imagine two cubes stacked on top of each other. So you have these rectangles that are about that size and they have red sides and they have black sides. And what you're doing in the game is you're laying these, um, you're standing them up on the board and then players will take turns like knocking them over so that they go from being one square big to two square big. And what you're trying to do is create these things called dolmens, which basically means three or more of the same color. So you're trying to position your tiles so that you're creating um, groups of the same color. And then once all the tiles are placed, whoever has the most dolmen will win the game. Um, but you have to keep them separate because it's three or more squares of the same color. So if you have 12 squares, that's only going to count as one point, basically. So you have to try to make the smallest um, combinations of your color. It looks pretty interesting. Um, it's only going to be published online, so I'm going to have to find a retailer online that will uh, send it our way. But yeah, it's it's definitely kind of fits my two-player and my abstract game theme, so I'm excited for that. All right, Dan, so what are you looking at in terms of number five? Uh, number five for me, uh, I think I've talked about this before on the podcast, um, and I think it was a surprise to most at Essen from what I've heard. And that is uh, Imperial Assault, the new Star Wars-themed game from Fantasy Flight Games. Um, originally, this was due out, I thought, in early 2015, but they had copies for sale at Essen. And rumor is that they will also have their pre-orders and other copies available at retailers in the next uh, month or so, which would be great, because in time for the holidays. Um, for those not familiar... Um, Imperial Assault is basically Descent uh, re-themed uh, re uh, in the Star Wars universe. So 
you have one player who's kind of controlling the dark side, and then you have other players that will control the light side to some extent, and they are battling it out in a... There's two modes within the game. There's a scenario-based mode, and then there's also a skirmish mode. So if you just want to fight each other, a la you know, miniatures wargaming, you can do it that way. Or if you want to do the campaign setting, uh, you can also do that. So I'm really looking forward to this. Um, Descent doesn't really do it for me. I'm a little bit... I don't know. Star Wars is more my, my style um, when it comes to anything, really. <laughs> um, and I'm really intrigued to see this uh, in dungeon crawl format. I think it'll be really cool and hopefully revive my interest in dungeon crawlers because I've been kind of slacking on those lately. Yeah, I'm, we talked about this on a previous episode. I'm a little mad at FEG, FFG for just reskinning one of their already published titles. Um, it seems to be almost exactly the same in terms of the d- dungeon crawl mode. But maybe I'm just a little bit bitter because I would rather have Star Wars than fantasy-themed, and I already own Descent. Um, but what I'm really interested in is that PvP mode because I think that that's a unique twist. And, you know, I'm all about you picking this up. I'd play this in a heartbeat because I love Descent. And, you know, those kind of games I'm all about getting to the table. So if this is another way to get more people involved, then I'm all about Imperial Assault. Now, I've only I've had limited experience with Descent. I know you two have played it and own it. But um, from what I understand, this uh, Imperial Assault, and tell me if this is different or not, but it has kind of, it has a deck of cards, and I can't remember the name of the deck, for instance, of what they call these uh, different events, but they come out at random points throughout the game, trying to make every game and scenario a little bit different, because it's, just, like I said, you're drawing from this deck, and it, it takes place, it, it kind of reminded me when it was being described, it almost reminded me of kind of like a Crossroads card, in a way, mm. something that is unique to the situation at hand and it's resolved and it could go one way or the other, but it's always kind of a unique uh, instance in the game. That's a cool addition. Tiff, what do you think about this? I know you own Descent, but I mean, are you more interested in this? Do you Are you kind of done with Dungeon Crawlers? Yeah, I don't know. I'm, I might be done with Dungeon Crawlers. I just can't seem to get them to the table and maybe this theme would help, but I'm, I'm not jumping to get this game right away. I'm going to wait and see what people think about it first. All right, Tiff, you're number four. Um, my number four is a game that is actually going to be on its way to me very soon, and that is Weggle Dance. Uh, this was a Kickstarter game not too long ago, actually, um, by Mike Nudd and Grubbling Games. Uh, it's about bees, if you don't know what a waggle dance is. It's a technical term for something bees do. And it's a worker placement game that uses dice as workers. So you're you're trying to build up an awesome hive and you're collecting nectar and all that kind of stuff, but you're using dice to do it. So I backed this and it was one of the Kickstarters, one of the first Kickstarters in a long time that really piqued my interest and I really wanted to see it fund and I picked a higher pledge level than I normally would because it just looks awesome. The art is great and... I like the bee theme and dice as workers, so yeah, Waggle Dance. So is everyone else who backed Waggle Dance, are they going to get to play as you as well, or is that only for you because you're backer level? No, I picked the backer level that, that they make a little character, the artist that's doing the board game art, they make a little character standy that's you, and that's going to be on the poster, the celebration poster that comes with every game of Waggle Dance, so you'll be able to see my little cartoon character of me on that poster but i am the only one who's going to have a little tiny stand-up me to use ah so bring your poster to the conventions that you go to and get tiff to sign them 
and <laughs> they'll be worth so much more. Oh yeah. What is a wag- a waggle dance? Is what like a bee mating thing? I think it's a mating dance, but I'm not sure. So Tiff, you're drawn to the bee mating. She's into she's into animal matings. Matings. Thanks, guys. That's yeah. cool, Tiff. <laughs> That's cool. I mean, whatever. But but if you're wondering what a, a waggle dance is, it's a series of pattern movements performed by a scouting bee communicating to the other bees of the colony the direction and distance of a food source or hive site. Or it's telling you where the ladies are at. Maybe that. <laughs> All right. So Tiff is more into hunting and gathering than she is animal mating. Just for our listeners to know. Thank you so much, guys. A correction. Editor's yep. note. <laughs> so yeah, waggle dance. I just anything that has Dice's workers, I'm immediately drawn to, and the cover art on the box is just enough to be like, whoa. Oh, the there's cover a, art's good. There's a bee zeppelin for Pete's sake. A buzz zeppelin. Yes. I was I was weak, but I tried. Mm-hmm. Stairway to the hive. Oh. Nope. That doesn't really relate to Zeppelins, but good try. Lead Zeppelins. Oh, <laughs> I get it. Come on. That was good. Dead puns. Oh. Yeah. All right, well, my number four, which some people may be surprised why it's so low on my list, but it is Alchemists, which is one of the biggest hits of S in 2014. Um, so Alchemists is from, is this Matus Kotri? Kotri? You guys are better with your uh, foreign pronunciations than I am. I'm not. But so from that designer, and this is uh, from Czech Games Edition. So CGE is doing the publishing for this game, and this is a worker placement game, a worker placement game with deduction elements. So an alchemist players are playing uh, budding masters of their trade, and individuals in the game are trying to gain the respect of their peers and the alchemy community by publishing theories and gaining grants. Now. Mechanically speaking, this game is unique because you're using the worker placement uh, mechanics to deduce or decipher um, the nature of certain potions and ingredients because this game is one of those front runners in this kind of technology integration revolution where it uses an app to randomize the game each time you play. So you have these nine components that you can use in the game and each one does different things. And the combinations of them do different things. But the app allows you to randomize those combinations. So each game you're trying to, it almost gives me like a clue feel where you're trying to guess and test to decipher what these things do. Because some of them are good and some of them are bad. And if you go in willy-nilly and test the bad potions on yourself or do certain things, you can end up um, hindering yourself in the game. So you're, you're trying to very carefully pick apart um, the mystery that is, you know, what these different potions are, and then use that information to um, create theories and grants and score victory points. So the most interesting thing and the thing that's getting all the buzz is this app. Now it's iOS, it's Android, and there's a, a an application on the computer, so you don't have to have a smart device. Um, but this, the integration of this device is almost essential because if you don't use it, you're required to have a game master to do the randomization for you. And that player actually doesn't get to play the game because they basically know the secrets. Um, so it the game does include the option to play all analog, but it really isn't the way this game was intended to play. 
So that's really what interests me about um, Alchemist. I know this is on Dan's list, so when we get there in the uh, in the count, we'll go ahead and hear his thoughts on it too. But for now, we'll kick it over to Dan, and he'll talk about his number four. Uh, my number four is Deus, which is a game designed by someone that I will probably butcher their name, uh, Sebastian Dujardin, I guess. We'll see. We'll say that. It's probably French. Um, and this is published by Pearl Games at Essen, but I believe it is going to be an Asmodee release um, this coming January, which is great because it's always nice when you're interested in a game at Essen and you find out that it's not coming out too much later over here in the U.S., um, which is is cool for us. So um, Deus is, I guess, a civilization game, uh, so to speak. Uh, Each player starts with a hand of cards, and they're going to be using these cards to construct buildings in their tableau or discarding these cards to kind of activate the powers of the gods in this universe of sorts. There's also a modular board in the center of the table. And when you construct a building, you're going to go ahead and place it on the appropriate tile as such. And then you'll place the building card in your tableau. And your tableau has, I believe it's six or seven different colors and the buildings are associated with those colors. And when you play a building into the specific uh, color column in front of you, you activate the powers on all the cards that are already in that part of your tableau, that column, uh, starting with the bottom one going up to the most recent played one. Um, so that's that's pretty cool. It's a, it's a different take on, I don't even know what you'd say, hand management, I guess. Um, uh, there's also the ability, like I said, to... Um, discard cards and offer them to the gods and you can take different powers that are associated with the different gods that you discard to um so basically the end of the game is you're trying to destroy these barbarian villages and construct temples and all kinds of good stuff Uh, most points wins that's a typical board gaming victory condition that i've heard of before most points wins most points wins um so that's just so kind of a, innovative. a brief rundown, but I'm, I'm really intrigued by the... I love a little tableau in front of me. I love cards. I love stacking things, and I love modular boards. Um, so that is a summation of why I enjoy <laughs> Deus. <laughs> um, and like I said, it's coming out in the U.S. from Asmodee, and we all know that Asmodee is amazing and only puts out good stuff. Because Asmodee. All right, so that's Deus, and that stands number four. So let's kick it over to Tiff for the number three. My number three is Colt Express. Um, If you've been following the Essen hotness, this is kind of one that showed up at Gen Con. They had a prototype of it early. You play a bandit robbing a train, and the train is actually a 3D train on the board. So you play in five rounds, and each round has two phases. One phase where you play out action cards kind of programming your movement and then phase two where you actually carry out those actions and you're running on top of the train, you're punching out the other bandits, you're getting the marshal out of position and trying to get as much loot as possible. Yeah, it looks super cool. This is actually on my list. Um, I'm really digging the programmable movement and that's because I like the two different styles. So you actually do some where your, your programmable movement is face up and then somewhere it's face down. Um, in the same round so you can plan a little bit and then there's like a mystery element and then you plan a little bit Um, so I do like that kind of combination to keep people guessing and then just this game on the table if you go look up pictures of it 
it looks so cool with the 3D train and moving around. You can go up and down. It's got like full 3D spatial movement in it. It's so cool. I think this is one where I'm not going to have any problem finding someone to play this game with me because you'll just see it on the table and you'll run right over. Yeah, it's really hard to to look at this game and think and and try to avoid like playing it. To, to see this game, you automatically are thinking, what in the world is going on? I want to know more about this. It really is cool. Um, well, my number three is actually a game that we own and that was actually out at Gen Con. So this speaks to a little bit of the confusion that I have in terms of what's really a Gen Con release and what's an Essen release. But this is actually on the top 10 uh, Essen hotness for BGG. And this is Abyss. So the reason that this is my number three is that I've played this game. I really enjoy this game. And this is one that I want to own. Now, Dan already owns it, so I, I can't bring myself to buy a second copy. But the art and the gameplay, I really am a fan of this game. And this is one that Kelly B has really enjoyed. So any game that she says that she digs, I almost instantly buy because I know I'm going to be able to get it to the table a bunch. So we've talked about Abyss. I don't need to get much more into it. Um, but it's definitely one that's still on my mind and should still be on everyone's radar, even though it's probably shadowed a little bit by some of these other Essen games. I feel like this is a game you could justify buying another copy of because the different box art. Yeah, I don't know. I'd have to see if Dan looks at me funny. This is a game that I could get to the table more with um, some of my more casual group members than with like Dan and Smee and Steve. Like, one side of our group is much more hardcore and is also much more about like new games and the hotness. And then the other side of our group is about playing games a bunch of times at the same, you know, over and over again. So this is a game that I could get to the table with them and it's very approachable and very easy to play. So I do, I can almost warrant having another copy. And if I do, I'm getting that pink seahorse person cover. So any blue is better. Go away, Tiff. Number three for Dan. Okay. <laughs> uh, my number three is Orleans. And this is a game from Reiner Stockhausen uh, and DLP Games. Um, from my understanding, this, is, this has not been picked up by a U.S. publisher. So this may be one that I'll have to pick up from DLP themselves or someone else in, in Europe and or the rest of the world. Um, but Orleans is a game about medieval Orleans, so France is the setting for this game, and you're trying to assemble a following of, I believe there's farmers, merchants, knights, monks, and a couple other folks um, to kind of gain supremacy over your other players through um, trade and construction and all kinds of technological advances in medieval France. Um I don't know a lot more than that. Uh, the art is from Clemens Franz, so it everything I've seen is really, really good looking. Um, so that naturally draws me to a game. Uh, this had a lot of buzz um, at Essen. And again, I don't know if that's because it's one of those things that we, you may only get in Europe, but it seems interesting. You're going around um, the board trying to acquire goods and build trading posts. And again, like I said, collecting followers and these these followers all have different um, abilities that they grant you. Um, it just looks like a classic solid Euro, and that always intrigues me. And the box art is kind of cool looking too. <laughs> so, yeah, I'll be looking into this one more. Hopefully it gets picked up in the U.S. Um, otherwise, I'll be, I'll be getting this from my, 
my friends overseas. Yeah, I thought this one looked, like you said, like a classic Euro game, which kind of makes me want to wait and see how everybody likes it first. I know a few people that brought it back from Essen, so I'm curious about it. So, Tiffany, we are on to number two of our Essen 2014 games. All right, so my number two has been on my watch list for a very, very long time, and it is actually currently out in the United States right now, and that is Pandemic The Cure. So this is the DICE version of Pandemic, and Pandemic is kind of the game that kicked it off for me. Uh, I went kind of crazy into the hobby after I played Pandemic, so this is a 30-minute version of that game, and I feel like um, we don't get the original Pandemic played because it might take a little bit longer than that. So I'm looking forward to playing the dice version. It's actually sitting down on my table right now. Pandemic the Cure is? Yeah. Oh, cool. But you haven't gotten to the table yet? It just came yesterday. So it came with my copy of La Isla. Ooh, cool. So I have I have some good stuff to play this weekend. I'm interested in, in this game. I'm surprised that they went the dice route because I know some of the bigger games that have come out recently have been trying the dice route and you know to try to, to get them to the table more. But Pandemic always seemed like you know it, it runs about an hour. It's not hard once you get going. I mean, the game is hard. It's not hard to, to kind of pick up once you get going, though. I, I'm surprised to see the dice game. I don't know. Yeah, this one looks at it a little bit more from a macro point of view. The The location spaces are just little circular tiles that represent continents, so it's a little bit different from the original Pandemic. I've, I've heard that it's less tactical, but um, I don't know. It, it has a lot of the same familiar feeling as Pandemic from the videos that I've watched. So, Is the box art as bad as I think it looks? I don't think the box art is bad. It kind of just depends on how you feel about the new pandemic box art. I guess that's what it is. I don't really like it. Yeah. I mean, I like the old one just fine, but the new stuff isn't horrible. It's just different. I want to try this. I don't really care for pandemic, but I, I love dice games that whittle down bigger games like this. And I, I almost feel like part of my problem with pandemic is the alpha problem. I hate when someone just picks up my piece and goes, you should go here. And I'm like, no, I don't want to go there. But I, I feel like a dice game would maybe alleviate some of that in that you're rolling dice. I mean, no one really kind of has too much of a say in what the dice come out, you know, what dice come out. So I don't and know. And that's exactly what I've heard. So I think, I think you're right cool. on track. They look that. really nice, too. The dice, they're all custom. And... Okay. Well, my number two is Colt Express, and we already chatted about that. 3D train, program, programmable movement, and Wild West looks awesome. Um, I'm excited for this to come out, but you've already heard our thoughts, so we can move right on to dance number two. All right, so my number two is Zhang Go from What's Your Game, uh, the guys who brought us uh, Vinos and Madeira most recently. Um, this is designed by Marco Canetta and Stefania Nicolina. Um, in Zhang Go, you're taking on the role of the Emperor's emissaries in ancient China and you have been given the task of unifying the empire and you're going to do this by contributing to the Great Wall of China uh, as well as the famous terracotta army and any of the other infrastructures that are needed throughout um, the country at the time. Um, so you're going to be playing cards uh, for the most part. This is a hand management game um, but you have to choose when and where you want to place your cards and do it in the best way possible because 
you're trying to not only earn the emperor's favor, but you're also not trying you're also trying to not disrupt the populace as a whole. So you don't want to exploit the workers for personal gain uh, too much because then that increases the dissatisfaction within your you know your country and that leads to bad things. So at the end of the day, you're trying to again, Fight towards the emperor's cause while still keeping um, all the citizens placid. Um, and then that's the winner, basically. So this one looks looks like a really good game. From what I've heard, it's a, a lighter Madeira, um, but in the same kind of vein, uh, gameplay. So the track record for what's your game has been solid. So I've already actually pre-ordered this one, having not even played this. Um, I'm really looking forward to getting it. I like the theme. And, and yeah. That's my number two. Cool. Tango. All right, Tiff. So we are here. Number one games of Essen 2014 that you are interested in. Make it a good one and make it not be a dexterity kids game. Alchemists. Wow, you guys are not nice. Okay. So mine. Well, I love dexterity games for kids for the record. I do too. What's wrong with having a dexterity game on there? Virtual podcast. High five. Boom. All right. That's weird. We did that earlier. Boom. <laughs> I gave virtual high fives all over Twitter this week. <laughs> all over Twitter? Yeah. All right, Tiff, what That's... do you have for your number one? Okay. Sorry. So for my number one, I chose Gaia, which is from Tiki Editions. It's a newer company. It's actually their very first game that they're putting out. Oliver Rolko is the designer. And what caught my eye first was just the cover art and then I did a little bit more research and it's kind of an area control game and you have some tile placement that goes along with it uh, the the rules seem pretty simple very you know you draw a card you play a card and you're basically collecting sets of different cards in order to play these tiles out on the board so there are cities that you can play and they have different terrain requirements so you might have a city that requires two planes and one sea tile to be around it and then when you reach those requirements you get to put your meeple on top of it and you're trying to to claim all these different things and those are going to give you points and what's kind of cool about this one is there are two different ways you can play there's the family version where if you meet additional needs of the cities you can place your meeple in addition to the person who originally placed it. And then there's the advanced version where you're actually taking someone's meeple off and putting your meeple on. So it's kind of just like a lighter sieve building game just with different terrains and meeples. It looks fun, and I, I also have this one on, on the way. Nice. So this is, this is your top choice. This is my number one choice. All right. Cool. All right. So my number one is Chimera, and this is coming from Ralph H. Anderson and Z-Man Games. Now, this is a three-player-only trick-taking game, and Tiffany is rolling her eyes at me right now. I just know it. How do you hear that? (laughs) So this is a game in the vein of Teach You. That's actually the the game that it is most often compared to. Um, And it is a, like I said, a three-player trick-taking game where on any given round, two players are going to be the Chimera Hunters. And one player is going to be the Chimera. Now you become the Chimera each round by basically bidding for that um, that role. And then throughout the trick, you're going to be scoring different points based on what you play. 
And at the end of the trick, again, based on what you played, you'll score points. And it's the first person to, to you know, surpass 400 points. So it's got that classic trick-taking feel where you're playing towards a certain score and there's different ways to lead the trick and it's got the bidding mechanic for taking the trick. But I like that it's only three players because I often have three players at a game night. Um, I know that I'm like a two-player guy when it comes to my purchases, but I often find myself with three players more often than not. So having a game that's three players only that really succeeds as a three-player game um, is exciting for me. I like the kind of Chinese dragon. It's got kind of like a kind of like a blocky, chunky art style, which is kind of cool to me. Um, and then I also like that this has that classic game feel because I know it's easy to play, it's easy to pick up, and that it's easy to, to bring around with me. So anytime I find myself in a situation uh, where I only have three people, like I did this past weekend at a wedding, um, I know I can break out Chimera and have a good time. So I'm pumped about this game. I can't wait to pick it up. Um, and that is my number one. And we can kick it over to Dan. Dan is going to round out the the top five for SN 2014, and his number one is Alchemists. So, as Matt said, a lot of cool moving parts with this game. It's a worker placement, so obviously I am a huge fan of those. And I thought the the integration of the app to kind of randomize and uh, the potions was really cool. Um, I'm not a huge fan of technology and board games because if I wanted technology I just go play a video game is my opinion I like my my board game experience to be analog but from what I've seen and what I've read um, these this uh, integration of technology within Alchemist is very smooth doesn't take away from the gameplay experience and it's it's not as fiddly as you might think it could be so I'm really looking forward to this game and it looks it looks amazing actually the art and just on the table it's got such a big presence i'm really i'm really looking forward to this one yeah so i know that tiff came up with some honorable mentions i didn't really come up with any um because i had trouble enough really kind of isolating five games that i was super duper interested in so tiff what are your honorable mentions tell us a little bit about them i'll be really quick about it sure one is wakanda which is a blue orange game about totem poles cool so another honorable mention I have is Cat Tower. It is a stacking game in which you take little bent card cats and you stack them up in a tower. It's got a big chunky wooden die that you roll and the box is actually kind of a 3D cat head with legs and ears and stuff that you're supposed to set up while you play for extra theme. Uh, I don't know if it'll ever make its way to the U.S., but if I can get a copy of it, I will. Cool. And I also have Looney Quest, which I know isn't coming to the U.S., oh, but I it's... I forgot about that one. Yeah, it's like the fantasy version of Doodle Quest. Yeah. So if I can find that somewhere overseas, I'll That's probably... not coming to the U.S.? No. Darn. At least I, I, that was the impression I got when, when I, we were talking about it with Brandon from Blue Orange at uh, origins the doodle quest is the u.s version and the looney quest is the european version Damn. two different two different publishers same system yeah but they bit. get the 8-bit video game version yeah i i'll find a way to get that and then the last one is the cv expansion oh, cv yeah. Yeah, CV is just like a little dice game where you basically, you're telling the story of your life. You get different jobs and different things going on, and this is just an expansion that adds some new things to that game, which I really enjoyed. 
Well, I just thought about it in terms of honorable mentions. It wouldn't be an episode complete if I didn't mention Tosh Kalar, because I know that that, ep- <laughs> that expansion came out. Um, and then also the Terra Mystica expansion came out too, right? Mm-hmm. And that thing, I apparently, it costs as much as the base game. It's 40 bucks. I yeah. Think, for the, the but expansion. it's got a whole boatload of new races and things to deal with. It's got six. Yeah, it's a good amount. Which is good. I know that SM was, I mean, we didn't focus too much on expansions, but I know that it was pretty expansion heavy. Um, I guess that's why I felt our honorable mentions. We wanted to focus on some of the new the new titles and IPs that were coming out. So, pretty cool. Uh, mine were, and actually I probably would slip this into my top five, to be honest with you. I don't know what I would take out, but if five turns into six, then I would put uh, Murano which is from Inca and Marcus Brand, the two, the two folks who brought us Village, which is one of my all-time favorites. Um, again, with art from Clemens Franz, so it's a really good-looking game. But this is uh, based on the island of Murano, which is famous for its glass blowing uh, in Venice, or just outside of Venice, in the, in the water, because it's an island. Ah, um, uh, yeah. And I... this one has kind of a unique... Um, movement system in it that you you're taking little boats around to the different action spaces but you can only move boats in a specific direction and they can only move to spaces that don't already have a boat Um, but you're able to move boats that are in front of the one you want to move so it's it's a kind of chain reaction you're trying to work out how you want to best move these boats to get the different actions that you want to take so this one looks really cool uh, I'm really looking forward to it. I, like I said, Village is one of my favorite games, so I'll always give um, these designers a look when, when they're coming around. Um, Matt mentioned it, Terra Mystica, which is my favorite game ever. Uh, that has an expansion, which I'm hoping to get my hands on. And I'm not sure what else I would pick. There's probably a bunch of things I could pick. I'm going to buy everything from Essen. <laughs> Um, wow, that's going to be a lot of games. No, Cold Express, like you guys said. Uh, Aquasphere, I want to try out. The new Stefan Feld. Yeah, I didn't mention Aquasphere because I backed it on Kickstarter, so I know it's coming. Yeah, that's coming in December to the U.S. So, uh, D Stoffer, which is that new Z-Man game. And that's probably the ones I'm most interested in. Cool. Well, I mean, SN2014 had over 300 or 500 releases, something like that. Um, so this is just a very small scratch of the surface in terms of what's cool out there, but this is what we're looking forward to, some of which we've already, you know, put down the credit card numbers to buy and some of which we're waiting patiently to, for things to come to the U.S. or are going to hunt down, uh, via some, uh, EU websites. But for now, I think that's what we have going for, for S in 2014. That's what we're looking for. And that's a wrap on the podcast and Nonsense School Gamers episode eight. Um, so... Before we go, a brief reminder that you can always reach out to us on social media via Twitter at uh, League Nonsense or on Facebook, the League of Nonsense School Gamers.com. Um, reaching out to us on there will actually get you an entry into our Dead of Winter contest. Don't forget to enter that before November 9th. And uh, shoot us an email at podcast at nonsenseschoolgamers.com if you want to provide some feedback for us or ask any questions that we can field either through email or on the air. Uh, but for now, I guess we can say goodbye until episode nine. Bye. Hashtag. Bye, ladies and gentlemen. Goodbye.
Stick it on your shelf. <laughs> just the way you said that, stick it on your shelf. It just kind of came out weird. That's my, that's like my newscaster line. That stick you... it on your shelf. Have a oh. good night. Stick it on your shelf. But doesn't that, okay. Am I the, okay. I quit. The podcast. Goodbye. See you. <laughs> All right, so this is the the end of the podcast of Nonsensical Gamers here at halfway through episode eight. Thank you all for joining us, and we'll never see you again. <laughs> Go on without me, fellas. Stick it on your shelf. <laughs> Stick us on your shelf. <laughs>